Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Thank you, prayer partners and uh, church, for praying with me. Would you take your copy of God's Word, please, and find Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 in the Old Testament, either in a Bible or maybe a device that you have there. Uh, We're going to be studying in the book of Daniel. As you're finding that, let me just simply say thank you uh, for being a blessing to Pastor Josh Tompkins and his family. As many of you know, their house caught fire earlier this week and uh, no one was harmed, praise God. Uh, But they do have a long road ahead of getting their house fixed up and dealing with the insurance and so forth. I'm, I'm so appreciative of the number of people in our church who have just rallied around them to provide meals, uh, to offer services for cleanup, and even uh, offer some housing options and so forth. So thank you, church, for being the church. And uh, today we are continuing in our teaching series called Welcome to Babylon. Uh, We're talking about how God's people were transplanted from Jerusalem, where their values and their faith and their convictions were really the, the, the prevailing worldview, and they were transplanted from Jerusalem to Babylon by God, to a setting where everything they believed and all that they held near and dear to their hearts was marginalized, criticized, and demonized by everyone else in that culture. And of course, we've, we've drawn in the last several weeks several uh, comparisons and analogies between God's people living in Babylon then and God's people living in our nation today, which is becoming increasingly a Babylonian-type context where so much that we believe and hold near and dear and our convictions and faith and values are are criticized and marginalized in this world today. How do we thrive as God's people in that kind of setting? So we spent several weeks, of course, in Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, looking at some of God's guidance to his people then. Uh, We saw that God said, build houses, kind of settle down there. You're not going anywhere anytime soon. Build houses plant gardens, eat their produce, seek the welfare of the city, and so forth and so on. Basically, God told his people to embrace the realities of that place and make the most of it. Live your lives. Don't bury your heads in the sand. And and we talked about that and how we ought to be doing that in this world in which we live today. But then last week, as we transitioned to the book of Daniel, we saw in Daniel chapter 1 that there comes a time When you live in a Babylonian setting where you've got to say, you know what, I'm not going to compromise this. And and there are certain things that are spelled out in God's Word where God simply says, you've got to draw a line in the sand and say, we're not going any further. We're not backing up. We're not letting up. We're not shutting up. We're going to continue to be the people that God wants us to be. Well, if Daniel chapter 1 was kind of a private conversation between Daniel and one of his handlers, Daniel chapter 3, as we're going to see, is an out-and-out confrontational response publicly where where Daniel's friends basically said, we are not going to do what you tell us to do, O king. And you know, when it comes to following Jesus Christ, you need to know something as if you don't already know it, and that is this. Sooner or later, you're going to have to say, we're going to draw a line in the sand, and we're not going any further. It's kind of like the British... Theologian G.K. Chesterton said, art like morality consists of drawing the line somewhere. And we've got to be ready, if we're not already doing so, we've got to be ready to draw some hard and fast black and white lines in our culture and say we're not going to go any further. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Taking a stand 
in Babylon. Okay, right? So the, the first thing I want you to see is what I call the spiritual battle. We're going to begin reading in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, and we're going to take a look at this spiritual battle. All right, so King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits, and he set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. And they said to the king, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So notice something about this episode. It's not explicitly stated in the scripture, but this chapter takes place about 15 to 20 years after the events of Daniel 1. So in Daniel chapter 1, these three young men were teenagers, ages 14 to 16. But by the time we see them in Daniel chapter 3, they are in their 30s, probably early 30s. Men, they've, they've had some experience in Babylon, and they've been living their lives for God in Babylon, and yet when they saw that image set up, and they heard Nebuchadnezzar's mandate that when you hear all the musical instruments, you've got to bow down to this image. There was something, there was a check in their hearts that immediately said, wait a minute, the king is telling us that we have to basically disobey God's first and second commandments. One, you shall have no other gods before me. And two, you shall not make for yourself an image or an idol to bow down and worship it. And here's something you've got to understand about, about idols, because we're talking about a spiritual battle here, Okay. In the Bible, idols are merely a figurehead for something much deeper and darker. Did you know that? For exa- it's not just an inanimate piece of metal or wood or, or handicraft, right? It, it, it represents something much more insidious. For example, Deuteronomy 32. But Jeshurun forsook God who made him, scoffed at the rock of his salvation, stirred him to jealousy, and then watch this, with strange gods and sacrifice to demons that were no gods. Now that's interesting. They use the word demon, Moses uses the word demons interchangeably with idols. Yes, that's right. 
An idol is ultimately inspired by demonic worship. That's a spiritual battle that these young men had on their hands, a demonically inspired spiritual battle. And I will tell you, friends, as if you didn't already know, we likewise face a spiritual battle today. Ephesians chapter 2, look at this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then Ephesians 6, look at this. We're very familiar with this verse. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Understand this. As we look across our culture today and we take into account some of these friction points that are out there, understand that those friction points are basically representatives of a deeper, darker, more insidious truth. For example, godless politicians, they're just figureheads for something much deeper and much darker. Hollywood and the media and all of these things we see associated with those, are, are, they're, just, they're, they're manifestations of something deeper and something darker. Uh, pornography, drugs, other substances to which people become addicted. Again, just manifestations of something deeper and, and much darker. And I will tell you this, friends, whenever you take a stand against those things, whenever you say, you know what, I'm not going to have anything to do with those things, I'm going with God, this world will come down on you like a hammer. Say, how do you know that, Phil? Well, first of all, I know it from experience, but it's also what the Bible says. Look at, look at this interesting passage from Isaiah 59. Righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil, watch this, makes himself a prey. You know what that verse says? It says that if you turn away from wickedness, if you turn away from darkness and you turn to the light, the darkness is going to come after you. The wickedness is going to come after you. The devil does not easily give up his property. And all of the hosts of hell will come after you. That's the world in which we live, folks. Like it or not, that's the world in which we live. We're facing a spiritual battle, and I will tell you, it's time to suit up and boot up. It's not time to lay back on the couch and say, oh, doesn't concern me. We are in a spiritual battle. Now, the second thing I need you to see, straight from Daniel chapter 3, is a confrontational response. Get that down. A confrontational response. Because Nebuchadnezzar really called these, these young men to heal here, to worship his image. But what, what did they say? What, what did they do? How did they respond? Go back to Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. Watch this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. By the way, here comes one of the greatest passages in the entire Bible. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, as I said earlier in the message, if Daniel chapter 1 featured this, this offline conversation between Daniel and, and the steward, Daniel chapter 3 gives us a picture of a flat-out confrontation, a public confrontation. 
Now, I don't know about you, I'm not a big fan of confrontation myself, all right? I'll, I'll get into it if I have to, but I don't go looking for it. I'm sure most of you are the same way. And yet, there comes a time when we as God's people must be confrontational. We must, because there will be times of, of government coercion where the government will, will look to God's people and say, look, you guys want to do this? Sorry, you can't do that. You have to do this. Right? It, government coercion. You say, Pastor Phil, is that going on today? You better believe it's going on today. We're not seeing it nearly as rampant as, as we see it in some countries, but there are already opportunities for, for people of this mindset in the government to step in and say, you know, we're, we're going to limit. We're, we're going to somehow limit what you do based on your faith and your conscience. And so there's going to be time when you've got to stand up and have a confrontational response during government, times of government coercion. In addition, as we see cultural drift, we've got to be ready to take a stand. You know, when, when we look at the direction of our culture and we see it going somewhere that is clearly not in our best interests, it's time to take a stand. It's time to draw a line in the sand and, and say, we're not, we're not going past this, this line. Uh, regardless of the criticism and, and the heat that we catch. You say, well, Pastor Phil, what are some of the ways that we can do that? Okay, well, first of all, certainly we have financial leverage. Isn't that right? I mean, we, we as Americans with, with possessions and, and finances and so forth, we have financial leverage. We're talking about this, this concept that some people would call a boycott. Right? A, a boycott. Interesting to know, uh, 25% of all Americans right now are boycotting something with, with their finances. Uh, I saw this in an article on LendingTree.com just this week. One of the ways people can have their voice heard in an impactful way is through a boycott. In fact, a quarter of all Americans are currently boycotting a product or company they had spent money on in the past. In our recent survey, these are those most likely to boycott a product or company. Six-figure earners, 37%. Gen Z, 32%. Millennials, 28%. Democrats, 31%. And Republicans, 24%. The most cited reasons for boycotting, political donations. In other words, if a company or an organization uh, gives political donations to something you disagree with, then you, you just won't give them any of your money. Uh, treatment of employees, stance on social issues, and policy position. So clearly there are a lot of Americans who are saying, you know what, I, because of convictions that I have, I'm going to withhold uh, giving my money to this company, buying their products, supporting their business, or, or whatever. Uh, you say, Pastor Phil, what, what does the Bible say about, about boycotting? Well, actually the Bible doesn't really have anything any, to say at all about boycott. It just specifically, uh, certainly the Bible has something to say about us, you know, using our funds wisely and certainly as God lays a conviction on our heart, we should follow along with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, there's nothing in the Bible about, you know, flat-out organizational boycotts where I stand up in front of the church and say, all right, guys, starting today, nobody at Crossgate Church is going to support X. We're not, we're not going to give our money to this business or whatever. That, that's not, you, if you wait around long enough, you still ain't going to hear that at Crossgate, all right? But... Does God step into your life and give you convictions about some things and you should act on them? Absolutely. And when you do, my family certainly has. There's some businesses and some other places that we don't, we don't do business with because they have, they have come out and said, hey, we don't, we don't agree with this or we do this or whatever. Sometimes, and you've noticed this, some companies, the CEO will get up and say, you know what, all these narrow-minded, bigoted Christians, we don't want your money anyway. 
Well, that's the best way to not get my money, right? I mean, I hope, hope you're the same way, okay? But, listen, listen if, if, if you exercise financial leverage, as I think we all should, as the Lord leads, here's a couple of things to think about. First of all, be charitable, okay? As I said, there's no sweeping uh, mandate for boycotts in the Scripture. Sure, we obviously should be boycotting drug dealers, okay? We obviously should be boycotting prostitutes and other, other merchants of evil, all right? But, but beyond the obvious teaching of the Word of God, guess what? Your list of what you feel inclined to boycott might not look exactly like my list and vice versa. And guess what? That's okay, right? I mean, it, it's okay. If you're following your convictions and you feel like God has convicted you in a certain way, boom, get on it and be faithful to how the Lord is convicting you. Here's the other thing. You've got to be consistent, right? Now, let's just imagine this scene. Here's a particular company or a business or something, and, and in June or maybe the whole year, they, they, they turn their, their company logo on social media into a rainbow, right? And you say, oh, well, I'm not going to do any business with them whatsoever. Well, you do understand that there's this massive amount of interconnectedness among commercial enterprises in this world today, right? And so if you say, I'm going to boycott this company, well, they actually this is this, and this is this, and they have all these other, you know, connections. So just keep in mind, if you want to be consistent, be consistent. But depending on how far you take the boycott thing, you might boycott your way all the way off the grid back to the little house on the prairie, right? No electricity, no nothing, no toilets. I mean, you know, I'm sure the toilet companies probably have some liberal or, or you know, uh, secular agenda or whatever. We, we, can't, we, we, we can't do business with that toilet company, right? Just be consistent. Be, be charitable and be consistent. Use some financial leverage as the Lord leads. But here's the second way that you can take a stand, okay? second way you can take a stand is a huge way. It's called political participation. And, you know, this is probably the one area that is radically different than the experience God's people had in Babylon back in the Old Testament because we have this thing called the U.S. Constitution, okay? We have this thing called the United States Constitution, God has, has, has made a way for us as citizens of this nation to participate in the political process. Uh, we have a general election coming up next month, as many of you know. We Actually, early voting starts tomorrow, right? Now, when we talk about the political process and political participation, let, let, let's remind ourselves that we've got to avoid two political extremes, okay? First of all, we have to avoid what I call political idolatry, right? Political idolatry that's where, you know, the, the political process, even among Christian people, is the be-all, end-all. It's like, man, everything I think about is political. Everything I think about has to do with politics. It's like, man, we can, we can somehow vote our way back to the kingdom, right? I mean, 40 or 50 years ago, there, there was what I would call an unhealthy swing of the pendulum among, among Christians and churches toward this, this political emphasis, Okay, this, 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 this idea that says, man, if we can just elect the right people, boy, we can route revival through Washington, right? I mean, that's, that, I'm, I'm glad we've kind of gotten away, by and large, from that kind of political idolatry. On the other hand, you know, if, if some people espouse political idolatry, other people espouse political apathy. And in many cases, political apathy is a response to political idolatry, Right? And in many cases, it's also generational. If you're under the age of 30, you are probably more likely to be uh, you know, guilty of political apathy than political idolatry. And, and I've, listen, I've had this conversation a number of times with, with teenagers and people in their 20s. They'll say something like this. You know, Phil, man, I just I love my grandparents. 
But it seems like every time I go over to their house, it's just nothing but 24 hours a day of Fox News. And, and everything they do is just politics, politics. That's all they want to talk about, politics, politics, and how, how terrible our country is, and everything is political. And, and I just, I, I mean, I love my grandparents, but I can't even follow them on social media because it's like just politics, 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 politics. Right? Now, in many cases, that, that, that's a response, right? And, and, and so I'll be talking to some folks who are, again, in their 20s, and I'll say, you know, there's a general election coming up next month. Eh, you know. man, we've, we've, got this, that we've got this amazing blessing from God that we get to participate in our government. Not everybody has that in the world. Yawn, right? So that, that's political apathy. Here's what we're about at Crossgate Church. Where's the healthy ground in between, right? Where, where is the healthy ground in between so that we can, in a healthy and godly way, participate in our government. Let me give you a couple of principles. First of all, you got to vote. I mean, you got to actually vote. All right, like like go to the go to the place, cast your ballot, and vote. Again, I, I talk to people who say, "Oh, I don't I don't vote. I just I got better things to do. My vote doesn't count. I just I don't even vote." You know, anytime I hear somebody say that, I would love to sit them down with one of our gold star families. You know what a gold star family is, right? It's, it's, it's somebody or a family member who has, has, a, has a son, a daughter, a husband, uh, you know, whomever, who's died overseas in combat, right? De- de- defending the, the, the freedoms and the rights that we have. I just, let me tell you something. I would vote even if I didn't like any of the candidates. Here's why. Because I know gold star families. And I, I don't, I don't want to take this precious national treasure that their loved ones died in order to preserve and just, just throw it in the trash. That's just that's not going to happen. So, so you've got to vote. Second thing you've got to do is you've got to cast prayerfully informed votes. Cast prayerfully informed votes. Do you know who the candidates are? Do you know where they stand on the issues? Do you know what the issues are? Uh, that's one, by the way, that's one of the reasons why during election season we have a, uh, a table out in our mall, as we do now, with some voters' guides. They've actually run out. We've got a bunch more coming in. Uh, certainly they can direct you from the table to the uh, website that shows you various uh, you know, political positions of candidates and so forth. Look, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling anybody how to vote, just as I don't want anybody telling me how to vote. Okay? We just want people to be informed. We want people to be informed. For example, do you know what the issues are on the ballot this, this uh, election cycle? Issue three in the state of Arkansas is all about religious liberty. If that passes, then basically what it's doing is it's directing the leaders of our state, whenever they, whenever they come up against an issue where you have religious liberty on one hand and some other interest pitted against religious liberty, it, it directs the state leadership to lean in the direction of religious liberty. I'm all in favor of that. I'm all in favor of religious liberty because that's the context in which I share and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, all right? Issue four, huge issue on the ballot. Issue four, if issue four passes, uh, basically it removes just about all of the restrictions uh, on the recreational use of marijuana in the state of Arkansas for Arkansas age 21 and over. Uh, In my personal opinion, that would open the floodgates for all kinds of adverse negative impacts on the lives of Arkansans. Uh, and by the way, there is big, 
big money behind this issue. Okay? You, you, would, you would not believe the amount of money that's being poured into this, into this issue to try to get it to pass. Why? Because if it passes, think about all the people that are going to be rolling in the dough, making money off of marijuana sales and everything else. Here, as a, as a minister of the gospel, here's what really grinds my gears about that. Okay? These fat cats that are, that are pouring all of this money into this issue to try to get this thing passed, where are they going to be when you have all these wrecked lives? You've got to step into these people's wrecked lives through marijuana use. Well, the pastors are going to step in. Other people of, of compassion are going to step in. Meanwhile, the fat cats are going to be over here just, just raking in the money, right? And so you need to know where you stand on that. Get one of our voters' guides. Check it out. Educate yourself. Again, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you how to vote on every little issue on the ballot, but I'm simply telling you there are some things on the ballot that will have a significant impact, and you need to cast prayerful and informed votes. Now, here's one other thing. You need to vote a biblical worldview. All right? I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I will tell you how to vote, and that is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to ask yourself, what does the Bible say about all of these issues, right? That's, I love the quote from Pastor John MacArthur, and he was specifically talking about the 2016 election, but I think this is a great principle. I didn't vote for Donald Trump, per se. I voted for a worldview. I voted for an ideology that's closer to Scripture regarding personal responsibility and industry. It has a place for God. It understands the importance of the traditional family for cultural stability. It understands that the role of government is primarily to carry a sword to punish evildoers and to protect those who do well, not to arrest those drinking from a plastic straw. I've got to use what little contribution I can make to see a culture that, while we're going down the drain, enjoys some of the vestiges of common grace, because I'm looking in the faces of my grandkids and wondering what kind of world I'm going to leave them. Look, this isn't about Donald Trump. This is a massive, massive worldview issue. Trump and Clinton are merely figureheads. The candidate is merely the public relations agent for the broad worldview coalition behind them. We would do well to make the most of this precious national treasure that God has given us and participate in all the leadership in our nation. Now, let me, let me share, quickly share two limitations of the, of the political participation and process with you. Two, two limitations, okay? The first of which is this. All right, as, as I see the darkness increasing in our land, okay, I, I am even more convinced now as I've ever been that we simply cannot vote our way back to the kingdom. You cannot reach the kingdom of God through the political process. As a matter of fact, as dark as things are getting, I think at best the political process is like playing prevent defense. You know, when you're talking about college or NFL football, you, you're just going to play prevent defense. Now, John MacArthur talked about 2016. I'll throw my two cents in on that. You know, about a month after the election, I had a couple guys tell me, they said, we won, we won. I said, well, what did we win? I mean, for real, what, what, what did we win? And, and then I told them, here's my analogy. I said, at best, this is what we got out of that election. We got a speed bump on the road to judgment. Our nation is headed toward judgment. Look around, friends. Our nation is headed toward judgment. And basically what that election did is it had us pump the brakes just a little bit on the road to judgment. I personally believe if the election had gone the other way, we would have been full speed ahead on the road to judgment in our nation. That's, that's the best that the political process can do for us. Or let's look at the flip side. Okay, The flip side is this. Here's the other limitation. 
let's just pretend for the next 50 years, every election goes the way of a biblical worldview. Every single election in the United States, state, local, national, everything, goes the way of a biblical worldview. What would our nation look like? Well, probably the government would be a little smaller. We would probably have lower taxes. There would probably be some kind of, you know, moral atmosphere in our nation. In other words, the United States would basically be a better place to go to hell from. You think about that. Because if every single election goes the way of a biblical worldview, no one is going to get saved simply because the elections turn in that way. Because at the end of the day, our votes, as as precious as they are in, in the political process, as wonderful as it is, is in no way prepared to eclipse the power of our witness for Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing that you can do. That's the most important thing I can do as a follower of Jesus is to be a witness for Jesus Christ, our spiritual witness. Check it out. Okay. Now, is it, is it too much to say that Jesus did not say, you shall be my voters? Is it too much to say that Jesus did not say, go and make voters of all nations, registering them in the name of the Republicans, the Democrats, and the Independents? No, that's not what Jesus said. In fact, let me just remind you, because it's always important to keep these verses in front of us. Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when I talked to you about the spiritual birth rate in our nation? And I, and I said that the spiritual birth rate was declining. What I meant by that was that we, we're seeing a decreasing number of men and women, boys and girls, trusting Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. That, that's the decreasing birth rate. And, and the, the sociologists tell us that in the next 50 years, there will probably be about 50% less Americans claiming to be Christians than there are right now. Now, that's not a political problem, folks. That is a spiritual problem. And spiritual problems must be answered with spiritual solutions, and that solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never forget it. Never forget that our spiritual witness is the most important way that we can take a stand. And I don't care if you vote in every single election and you totally maximize your political opportunities, If you're not a witness, you are failing miserably. I am failing miserably. We are failing miserably to pursue the highest calling as believers. Now, here's the last thing you need to see. The last thing you need to see is this, a supernatural presence. Let's go back to Daniel 3. All right, so we got the fiery furnace, man. Things are looking really bad here for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, 
Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Wow. What's going on here? Who, who is it? I mean, yes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're in the fire, but who, who's this fourth guy? Well, some people say it's the angel of the Lord. Some people say it was Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate emanation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar said it looks like a son of the gods, which I guess is what you'd expect a pagan king to say. Well, truth be told, the Bible is not crystal clear on exactly who this is. Even the New Testament doesn't specifically say, oh, that was Jesus back in the fiery furnace. All we can say for certain is that the presence of Almighty God came and was with these three men in the midst of the fire. Now, folks, can I tell you something again that you already know? It is getting dark, and it is getting darker in our nation, in our world. Jesus Christ himself said men and women love darkness rather than light. And, and, and the, heart, the Bible said the hearts of, of people will grow cold in the last days. Well, let me ask you this. What, what promises do we have from God here and now? Well, we've got the same promise that they had back then. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 31. This was the promise that those young men had then, and it's still in effect today. Be strong and courageous. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. That's the promise that we have. That's the promise that we have in the midst of whatever, whatever we face in this world, specifically after we say we're not going to budge, we're not compromising, we're not backing up. Government, entities, whoever you are, culture, you tell us to do this, we're not going that way, we're going to do what God tells us to do. And trust me, folks, that will get the heat turned up on you and on me and on our families. You say, but Phil, wait a minute, what about the verses that come after that? You know, where, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fiery furnace, and, and, and they're, 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 uh, you know, their bindings are off, and, and their, their clothes don't even smell like smoke, and then King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, anybody that talks trash about their God, they're going to pay. I mean, how come we're not talking about that? The reason why we're not covering that is because I'm not sure it applies to us. Hello? The reason why we're not talking about that is because I'm not sure it applies to us. See, God is able. God is able to do anything and deliver us from anything. But please remember, He's not obligated. He's not obligated. And it may very well be that the place that God needs His church in North America is precisely where Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego found themselves in the fiery furnace. You know, think about this, folks. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I think one of the reasons why people are so uh, eager to see the political process turn in, quote-unquote, our favor, and, and why people want to see, you know, the, 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 the worldview that we espouse to be the dominant worldview again, is because they just want to be comfortable. They, they, they just want to be comfortable. And, and, and what's going on right now does not does not help us to feel comfortable. This is something you also know. The church in North America, by and large, is lazy, out of shape, laying on the couch, eating chocolate donuts, and not really growing. 
Whereas the church and the Christians in Iran and the Middle East and China are in the fiery furnace and they are growing and expanding like nobody's business. Why is it that we're so afraid of the fire? Yes, when we take a stand, God does not ultimately call us to comfort. But when we take a stand, and we must take a stand, be prepared for difficult days. Now, like I'm, I'm not making some prophetic statement. Pastor Phil, are you saying that we're all going to be in jail this time next year? No. But, but what I'm telling you is this. Sometimes God comes and stands with us right in the middle of the fire that we might be the people that he wants us to be. And my prayer for our church is this, that we continue to preach the gospel, we continue to challenge people to take a stand and be engaged in in the full spectrum of, of citizenship in our nation, but mostly my role as your pastor is to challenge you to be a witness, to be a witness, to make more and better disciples. That's, that's where we're at as a church. Let's pray, church. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.